This is The Adam Ritz Show, a public affairs talk show touching on community, health, foundations, and more. The Adam Ritz Show is underwritten by Vibonomics, an audio out-of-home advertising marketplace and audio experience company. Info at Vibonomics.com. And now, from the Vibonomics studios, please welcome your public affairs radio host, Adam Ritz. All right. Hello and welcome aboard. I'm Adam Ritz. This is your favorite public affairs show, The Adam Ritz Show. Jay Baker joining me on the phone. And Jay, we have something we have to do right off the bat. Can you remember what we talked about last week that we have to do first? Was it something about a ketchup shortage? <laughs> yes. Yes, we we did a story on ketchup last week, and the ketchup shortage came up, and uh, we promised our listeners and each other that we would do a follow-up report on what this ketchup shortage was all about. Now, I did find a few resources, and I'm privy to what's happening. Uh, did you fi- did, Do you want to take this, or do you I... want me to take it? I also have some valid information, but I want you to jump in because this is absolutely a golden moment on the Adam Rich Show where the investigative arm of the Adam Rich Show is actually delving deep into an important situation in our world. Yes, correct. Our uh, investigative reporters looked deep into this. When I first heard about the ketchup shortage, I was a little concerned with no context or point of reference, not knowing what we were, what kind of levels of ketchup shortage uh, <laughs> devastation we were facing. And well, I found and you out. personally love ketchup. You know, I enjoy ketchup. I, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm like a freak about it. Um, I'm about 40% on French fries. 60% of the time, I'd rather just eat the, the French fry. 40, 39% of the time, I'll, I'll dip a fry in some ketchup. Uh, but I was worried that there was going to be no ketchup. That is not the case, Jay Baker. There is a ketchup shortage of ketchup packets for yes. restaurants and fast food restaurants. So for our ketchup freaks listening, do not worry. Do not dismay. There is plenty of ketchup. So what happened with the pandemic and the way uh, shoppers and consumers change their focus because restaurants shut down, uh, all of the ketchup producers started making all of their ketchup for consumer purchasing inside a grocery store or a convenience store. So the glass bottles of ketchup, they produced that to the nth degree to make sure consumers had enough ketchup to buy for their shelter in place and eating at home. Uh, Why would they continue to make ketchup packets for a restaurant that is now closed with no uh, end in sight of having it reopen. So now that we're at this stage of the pandemic and vaccines and things opening up and now restaurants are open uh, and have been opened uh, and there's more dining rooms opened, the ketchup manufacturers are trying to, quote unquote, catch up with producing <laughs> the little miniature packets of their ketchup to provide to the fast food restaurant industry uh, because there's just not that many packets. <laughs> Don't panic. Do not panic. Everything's going to be fine. They'll catch. They'll catch up and start and have enough packets ketchup. of ketchup in a fast food restaurant near you. <laughs> so you do not need to panic. Uh, ketchup freaks of the world. And there's your follow up report on the ketchup shortage. Is that what you had to? 
I had that. I have a few additional quick notes because this is an important topic and we do want to allay any fears going on through the community. We don't want people to start ketchup hoarding. That would be so very wrong. Uh, here's what's interesting. Uh, people that really love ketchup are very brand loyal. And Heinz ketchup uh, accounts for 70% of the market. So part of what was happening inside the fast food ketchup packet problem is that if there was a competing brand, the Heinz, some consumers were saying, well, no, I'm very loyal to Heinz. So Heinz said in the last couple of weeks, they are going to up their production 25% overall of all their ketchups. And they are promising 12 billion with a B packets to catch up with the ketchup shortage. 12 billion packages. 12 billion packets. Can you even, I can't even imagine how big of a warehouse you'd have to have for 12 billion packets. I mean, in years from now, hundreds of years from now, they'll study the uh, the effects that COVID-19 had on humanity. And the top two issues will be the toilet paper shortage of 2020 and the ketchup packet shortage of 2021. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just one of those things. And it's unintended consequence because you're absolutely right. Initially, Retail sales of most grocery items were up 15%, and the ketchup manufacturers responded to that. But as you said, it was for their big bottle. And have you seen some of the sizes that ketchup now comes in? It's amazing. (laughs) To a size you can barely lift to put on your fries. Yes. Yeah, I you know I I'm uh, I'm a you know I I do like ketchup. I I I feel for the uh, people that cannot eat. I've I've read about people that won't eat a French fry unless there's ketchup on it. So right. if that's the case, uh, you know maybe there's going to be a, a price decrease on the average French fry order out there because they're not selling as many French fries because there's not enough ketchup to go with it. So maybe that'll help me because I am a French fry freak. I would love it if the average cost of a large French fry went down because the ketchup people aren't ordering fries anymore because of the ketchup shortage. So we'll see if that pans out. Which Uh, could affect potato production, which could affect the state of Idaho, which could affect the northern part of the United States. I mean, these are important issues. And all of this, all these food issues affect... Uh, the toilet paper industry as well. Okay, so I got another story here uh, about the great outdoors. Uh, that time of year when uh, the winter is, uh, old man winter's in the rearview mirror and the temperatures are getting better and you're getting outside. Uh, a recent study found that uh, people learn to appreciate a walk in the great outdoors at the age of 27. Age 27 oh. is when people start to appreciate that. And I... Do, do notice like the older I get, the more I appreciate sunsets and uh, and just a beautiful landscape with trees and a garden. Uh, and I try to think back to when I was 27, and that's uh, right when I got married. It was a year before I had my first daughter, and I would say I would agree with that. I mean, prior to that year, I I don't I wouldn't have put on my list of things to do enjoying a, a great walk in the woods. Uh, the study also found 65% of us uh, get restless if we're stuck indoors for too long, which is very appropriate 
uh, for the year that we just had and that we're coming out of. So the weather is getting nicer. We're getting uh, farther away from restrictions. Uh, Capacity in certain places is getting increased. Uh, Some places that have been closed down for more than a year, i.e. Disneyland, is uh, open now or reopening. So, uh, yeah, I I enjoy the outdoors. How about you, Jay? Do you remember that prior to age 27, maybe uh, being more concerned with uh, going into the basement of your fraternity rather than getting outside for a nice trail run? (laughs) (laughs) You're right. The comfort of a fraternity house basement. Uh, Yeah, you know, it is funny. I think that you're right and probably coincides with the fact that we just sort of put greater value on things in general as we get a little bit older because it's it's so wonderful to just be able to head out. And we uh, live in a part of the United States where there's a great park system. And so you're absolutely right that being outdoors makes a difference. And if you can't get out, you get a little itchy and we're not the only ones, you know. Yeah, and I'm telling you, uh, it's a great way to stay healthy, burn some calories, get fresh air, and just keep uh, a healthy lifestyle. Uh, Take advantage of your state park system or your your parks and rec department in your county or your town. And uh, if you haven't really looked at that, take the family out, Uh, whether it's it's an extended family or just a a date night. uh, Go check out a park near your house uh, and burn some calories and, and get a little healthier lifestyle. Uh, another thing I wanted to hit uh, before we get to your stories, Jay, and, and this one's kind of obvious. Um, you know, it's always funny when you when research shows or a recent study shows and it tells you something that you've not only known forever, but everybody knows. So sure. here's, here's one of those tests. Research shows that smartphones are one of the most common distractions for parents and caregivers to overcome while supervising children at the playground. Well, no kidding. No kidding. Uh, You've seen (laughs) the jokes, the memes. I mean, there's scenes in movies where the kids are on the playground and uh, the the nanny or the parent is on the side on their smartphone checking their Facebook and, you know, the kidnapper shows up or the kid gets hurt or whatever. So uh, I bring up this obvious uh, research connected to our last story about getting outside and taking advantage of the park system. Uh, Just for this time of year, when you're heading out to the park with your family, with your kids, especially the small, small kids, uh, be cognizant of their safety and their well-being as opposed to the interest level you have in the smartphone that's in your pocket. Because I know that smartphone is it's burning a hole in your pocket. It's like, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. Uh, especially when it vibrates or dings or you have a status update or maybe a text or an email or somebody liked something on your Facebook page and you think you're going viral and you just got to check your smartphone. (laughs) Be aware that as soon as you look at that phone and you're not looking at the child, all it takes is a split second for something tragic to happen uh, to the children on the, uh, the playground. Okay. Yeah, that's a very good point. Okay, more uh, more obvious stories uh, to come. Uh, that's how we roll here on the Adam Rich Show. Uh, sure. Brought to you in part by Vibonomics. You can learn more about them. On our website, we've got a link uh, to their th- website. It's a purple V logo. Just click the link, uh, and you can find out more about their in-store audio capabilities, in-store music, voiceover messaging, and advertising messages in retail uh, locations, grocery stores, convenience stores across the country. It's vibonomics.com. 
Jay Baker, uh, always a pleasure talking with you about public affairs issues. We, we try to have some fun in the process, and I'm sure uh, what you're about to say is no exception. Well, thank you so much. An excellent intro. Uh, <laughs> you know, the Adam Rich Show Institute, getting to the bottom of things like ketchup shortages. And then this may be kind of a duh, but it is an intriguing trend that's occurring big survey that came out mid-year 2020, they said that now 52% of 18 to 29-year-olds are now living with a parent. So we're talking about half of a pretty large swath of people. 18 to 29? uh, That's 26 million Americans fit in that age category, and slightly more than half now live with at least one of their parents. That is a big number. If you I think ask it is me a to big guess, I, I would have, I would have guessed that the number has increased over the years. But I don't know if I would have said fifty-two percent of of that eleven-year range, eighteen to twenty-nine. Eighteen uh, to twenty-nine. Think about when you were, you know, twenty-five, twenty-six, twenty-seven years old. You you would rather you'd rather live in a van. Uh, in the middle of a field than live with your parents at age 26. Right. And now 52% of them are taking advantage of the low or no rent. So if you had your kids living with you, would you make them pay rent? That's the question. Well, that is a good question. And specifically, as you said, as you get on into your 20s, you would think that somebody in their mid-20s should be charged rent by their parents. I mean, wouldn't you? It, it To me, it just falls under the category of you're doing your child no good if you're not ma- if you're not charging them rent because that's not yeah. how uh, it, it that's not how the real world is. That's not how adults uh, habitate. Uh, there is nowhere on the planet where you can go live for free and, and have the kind of roof over your head that you're having with your parents. So uh, yeah, I'd say you're doing your child no good if you're not charging them something just to get them used to that process, that muscle memory of every month paying a, paying a dollar amount to be able to have some place to live. You're never going to get rid of them. There's going to be 52% of 40-year-olds are going to live with their parents in the next study. <laughs> yeah. I've got, a, I've got a good friend who has a young daughter who, sweetest girl on the planet, but kind of non-motivated in life. But once again, because she is such a gentle soul, you don't want to you know, kind of push her out of the nest too hard. But uh, I do have kind of an over under as to how long she may be living with mom and dad. And it's, uh, I wouldn't say it was 29, but I'd give her the 25. How old is she now? She is 22. Okay. That's, you know, I, I so three more years. I, uh, lived, well, I was still in college, but I lived at home until I was 23. Okay. So, but I was, you know, just graduating from college and I just got my first job. So then as soon as I had enough to go get my own place, I was out of there like a cartoon character with a cloud of dust behind me. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, they just did the biggest sleep survey ever. This happened in the United Kingdom. It was a 25-year study and uh, they found specifically getting 6 hours or less of sleep when you're in your 50s and 60s will give you a much greater dementia risk. 
So sleep is critically important. We always knew it was important uh, for adolescents and young people in general, but we didn't realize that even in your 60s, if you're getting less than six hours of sleep, you're not doing yourself much of a favor. That is very interesting, uh, especially considering the, you know, it's kind of a cliche and it's also everyone I know in my life that's around that age group, they don't sleep that much. You know, right. a lot of people at that age get up at four or five in the morning, it seems like. And if, uh-huh. if you're staying up till midnight, that is a very interesting fact to know. And I am happy to report that I get way over six hours of sleep every day. <laughs> so yes, I'm with you on maybe, that. Maybe uh, the, the more I sleep, maybe my dementia will reverse. Maybe I'll be good at math by the time I'm 70 <laughs> because I sleep so much. Maybe. Yeah, so the magic number <laughs> is six, and this is not like any kind of a dire warning, but they did say that this study was prompted by the fact that uh, people are working well into their 50s and mm-hmm. 60s, uh, we used to live in an America where many people really almost the second they turned 62 would retire. And now 62 is is very youthful for a lot of people. But I thought that was great. 30% greater dementia risk, six hours or less of sleep. So you need to keep an eye on that. You know, I've seen a lot of uh, 65-year-olds as well here recently, meaning in the last 20 years, instead of retiring or in conjunction with retiring, they are they end up working more because you become, yes. you know, you start freelancing, you get, you're, you're a consultant, you know, you've done some vocation for 30 or 40 years, you've learned a few things along the way, and now you retire, and then all of a sudden other companies start hiring you for these projects to help them out because you've got such a vast wealth of experience and the next thing you know you're 68 years old and you're working more than you've ever worked in your life and that's maybe a night when you're only getting four or five hours of sleep uh that's a great study i'm glad you brought that up thank you yes here's a great example of giving to those uh to uh, those less fortunate than you a gentleman by the name of scott colbrenner won hundred and forty five thousand dollars on wheel of fortune and ended up giving it all to charity. I'll be darned. That's awesome. Yeah, he gave it to a play uh, an organization known as Uplift Family Services. They're based in California. Scott Kalbrenner is from California, and he decided ahead of time with his spouse, he said, you know, we're already well-to-do. I applied to be on Wheel of Fortune just like as a lark, not even knowing whether I'd ever get selected or not. And whatever we win, let's just donate because, you know, we were doing just fine before we got on Wheel of Fortune. And the guy won. I mean, that's a pretty nice amount, $145,000. And I'm sure the charity really appreciated the gift. That's a great story. And did you hear last week about the Pat Sajak uh, faux pas that he pulled on uh, Wheel of Fortune? Did you hear about this? Well, I know that he's had a couple of incidents lately where he's really drawn some fire from longtime viewers. I we'll have to get our crack staff of investigating investigative journalists back on this, but uh, I'll, I'll just go, <laughs> try to go from the top of my head here. He it was the final round where you know they give you a few vowels, then you pick a few consonants and vowels, and then you pick a card, and let's, let's say the card 
has thirty thousand uh, dollars. If right. you if you you know if you get that final puzzle, you win the amount that's in the card that you just picked. So it was that final round, and whatever the saying was, Pat Sajak said it out loud before the contestant had a chance to figure out what the puzzle was. And the the kicker of the story is is that he gave Pat Sajak gave the answer. And the con- the contestant wasn't paying attention to Pat because they were so into the the board trying to figure out you know do the math in their head to try to figure out what the puzzle was that they didn't hear what Pat said. So they you know if they would have oh heard him they would have just repeated what he said and won the and won the thirty thousand. But at the end of it, they, you know there was all kinds of social media reaction and uh. Uh, Pat made a mistake and he was like, look, and it was the kind of. It was the kind of saying like Pat wasn't giving the answer of the puzzle. He was just saying some cliche phrase that fit that moment in time. It just so happened that that cliche phrase was the puzzle. Wow. So anyway, there's your uh, your Wheel of Fortune update from the Adam Rich Show. Well, we've talked about that. Hosting a talk show or hosting a game show looks like lots of fun, but man. It's yeah. a big responsibility. Yeah. I would goof it up for certain sure. I think Sajak's only getting three or four hours of sleep a night, I think. <laughs> That's part of his problem. Uh, well, we know that Bruce Arians is one of the most interesting guys in football. Bruce is the current Tampa Bay Buccaneers head football coach. And, of mm. course, Tampa Bay won a world championship not too long ago. He's got the and ring. Yeah, Bruce has got the ring. Now, he's always been, as I said, one of the cool guys in uh, the NFL, and he runs an organization called Arians Family Foundation, and their motto is they want to be the voice for children. Well, the Bruce Arians Family Foundation recently had a golf outing raised and this is an an amazing figure, seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Oh my gosh! But you know, it's like if you and I had a golf outing, we'd raise. I mean, we'd earnestly try to raise as much as we could. We'd be lucky if we raised seven thousand five hundred. Here's Bruce Arians. Now, of course, you could imagine who was at the golf outing. You you know, Tom Brady, Rob Gronkowski, the rest of the Tampa Bay squad. You know, it, it had large star appeal, but $750,000, so good for Bruce. Do we know who uh, benefits from that? Uh, it's the Arians Family Foundation that, that got the money. What what, what do they do? Work they with, are obviously specifically, work with families. yeah, they, yeah they, their slogan is they're the voice for children. So they donate to a lot of regional food banks and education resources and things of that nature. You're right, though. I've been in, uh, involved with several golf outings that uh, at the end of the event raise, you know, $7,500 for charity. And that's a great amount. That's an enormous yes. check to give to a, an organization, 7500 Can you imagine seven hundred fifty grand? That's three-quarters of a mil. Yeah, you got Tom Brady showing oh. up on the first tee. You're going to have some people pay some high dollars to come uh, play in that golf outing. Yeah, and I'm sure they had probably had some silent auction items like, you know, lunch with Tom or whatever, or round of golf with Tom or something. And good for him to tap into the star power of the NFL. wonder how much an uh, autographed Kangol hat autographed by Bruce Arians <laughs> went for. You know, he's famous for wearing those know. hats. 
Yeah, he does. He wears the hat very well. Not everybody can pull that hat off, but Bruce can. And we were uh, fortunate enough to have him as our head coach for a while, and he's a very cool guy. Yep. Uh, Elon Musk, for four months last year, was the richest man in the world. Well, one thing that he's become rich in is giving to charity. Uh, In the uh, first uh, few months of 2021, he gave over $150 million away in charity. Well, that so certainly makes him. Bruce Arians' 750 grand look like nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, top this, Bruce. My God, I just I just fawned over Bruce Arian and the 750k <laughs> that he that he made. And the next story is uh, Elon Musk giving 150 million dollars to charity. Who's next? <laughs> What's well, the next I, dollar amount? I, I think the really good news is is I kind of shared with you, and we've had this before on the Adam Rich Show. There is a move afoot for the very well-to-do to give to charitable causes. Yeah. And I think that this really cool that it is actually coming to fruition that a guy like Elon put the rubber to the road because this article also indicated that prior to that is, yes, he gave, but kind of like a minimal amount. Uh, and all of a sudden he decided, hey, I'm going to really ramp up the giving. Well, I'll make this promise to you, Jay, right now. In fact, I'll make it uh, more as a challenge than a promise. Sure. When I'm worth $100 billion, I will also give away $150 million to charity. Will you match? I'm writing it down right now. Will you match my gift? (laughs) With my current salary, if I matched your gift, Sure. Okay. Uh, why not? So yeah. So I'm Elon, on the hook for 150 million. <laughs> but seriously, he uh, and that's that's an inspirational. Uh, oh ins- yeah. Th- that somebody worth that much money with that much success is still it's still top of mind, and uh, he's aware that of giving back and, and making this place uh, a better a better home for a lot of people. So that's uh, well deserved. Well, I, I admire that. Yeah, it's impressive. Um, you were talking about the great outdoors. They kind of think the gr- the lure of the great outdoors is behind this. This is something you wouldn't have imagined, but RV sales hit a literal all-time record during the pandemic. Shipments of recreational vehicles were up 79%. <laughs> I mean, that to me is like you go, hey, I, I saw this wrong, but add, it is correct. I'll add that to the list of the uh, unintended consequences of, uh, of COVID-19. Known? You've got ketchup packets that you cannot buy, and then RVs are up 80%. RV sales, that's amazing. RV shipments up 80%. Now, you'll, you'll appreciate this. Over the past 10 years, there's been a general trend towards RV ownership. Uh, In fact, it's up about 26% over 10 years, and there are over 11 million households uh, under the age of 35 that own RVs. So about the time you think, well, it's older Americans or people retiring, it's actually uh, kind of been kind of universal. So uh, and they think it's because people are connecting with the outdoors. I have uh, several friends that, I mean, every weekend, uh, six months of the year, they are camping, absolutely, in their RV. They Whether it's an hour away 
uh, or eight hours away. They go somewhere every weekend. Right. And they, you know, they lay out the indoor-outdoor carpet at the base of the door and fire up the grill and just enjoy the outdoors for three days. Yeah. No, it's it's interesting. I, I wouldn't have thought that it was uh, becoming that uh, popular, but it is pretty amazing. Uh, here's a, a very interesting story. A 12-year-old in Salisbury, North Carolina, in one month will be graduating from both college and his high school. <laughs> How about that for a little overachiever? <laughs> my, I couldn't get my 12-year-old blasted off the couch. Oh, my god! This gosh. kid's graduating from high school and college. He's like a young Sheldon. He, that is an absolute young Sheldon. He's going to have uh, an RV by age 17. He's going to get his driver's license and then go buy an RV. He's going to ramp it That's up. That's unbelievable. Um, and, you know, it just you wonder about the logistics of the of the course load. How did he do high school and college at the exact same time? It, I just thought no matter how smart you were, one has to come after the other. Yeah, absolutely. I think part of this was, and I'd have to check into this, the, it was the type of college that allowed early admissions because a, a lot of times colleges won't even look at you unless you have indeed graduated from high school because, you know, on their charts, it says you'll be more successful if you graduate from high school. However, if you're a 12-year-old, super genius, apparently, you <laughs> come on in and Get your degree. That so is, good for him. That is crazy. That is interesting. And we hope to meet this young man. Maybe he'll become one of the uh, investigative journalists for the Adam Rich Show. <laughs> if he decides to ruin his life and go into radio, we'll find out. All right, Jay, thank you so much for coming on and uh, sharing your love of public affairs with us. Uh, for our audience, if you'd like to re-listen to this show or hear any of our past shows, you can in podcast form on our website, adamritzshow.com. The Adam Ritz Show is recorded live in studio at the Vibonomics Worldwide Headquarters. Learn more about the Vibonomics Audio Out-of-Home Marketplace at Vibonomics.com. For information on this broadcast, including past on-demand episodes, interview submissions, and syndication contacts, visit AdamRitzShow.com.